Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Welcome to this special episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. This episode is special for two reasons. The first is we've got Adam Grotzinger, who's usually based in Chicago, but was visiting Australia and happened to have a kind of ad hoc podcast discussion about interest rates, inflation, and the US economy while we're in Noosa in October. The second thing that's interesting and fun about this episode is Drew is playing the host. I am a fly on the wall and chiming in with some Uh, remarks here or there. But this is a conversation about what goes into a bond portfolio, how to think about investing in fixed income and the US economy overall from a macro perspective, as well as some of the key decisions that investors will probably be making in 2023, such as, you know, moving back into bonds, whether or not to do that, how you do it, and looking at different types of uh, credit products down the capital stack. This is a full uh, conversation. Don't forget, As usual with our macro and fixed income discussions, they're quite new to the series. So if you need to listen twice, you won't be the only one. Or you can skip ahead to other episodes on companies and stocks or portfolio management. In the meantime, I really hope you enjoyed this discussion with Adam Grotzinger of Newberger Berman. Welcome to the Australian Investors Podcast. Today I've got Owen Raskovich joining me. (laughs) (laughs) This is a bit weird, but thank you, mate. Alongside Adam Grotzinger from Newberger Berman. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Uh, it's our pleasure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You go. Uh, I was invading your intro. Host, <laughs> yeah, here we go. I mean, we, we just thought we'd set off with a bit of an icebreaker today and get really personal. Yeah. Uh, and best and worst investment, personal, in your order. You can choose. Yeah, well, I'd say in the context of this year, a lot of bad investments. <laughs> <laughs> Tech, uh, crypto. Uh, yeah, uh, crypto. Uh, I actually dabble a bit in uh, crypto um, personal. Um, I find it interesting just intellectually this space, but it's definitely not been uh, an interesting monetization experience uh, in the in the recent uh, recent era. Um, this year, I think it's been uh, been shares. You know, equities have been equities have been uh, tough, uh, irregardless of where you've been and. The defense to that, which is you know a little bit of bonds, also hasn't worked. So um, this year, um, not not doing so great. But um, you know, I'll probably talk today about I think forward-looking prospects are pretty interesting. But but tough start to the year. Yeah. And your best investment? Crypto um, before this year. Best investment right now, uranium. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. 
Yeah. Not buying the Sprott or the... Yeah, just mm. ETF way of, of getting exposure. Um, had that for a bit. Uh, kind of a long, long structural view, but um, that's starting to, to work well. Yeah. It's like the reintroduction of uranium in or nuclear in Germany. And yeah, you know, and it's France coming back as... Um, what are the variables we had to work with here to make this all come together and, you know, um, reasonable amount of uh, energy and uh, not much emission. And, you know, it's one of one of the options. Yeah. Mm. Well, outside of my, my professional realm <laughs> of uh, fixed income, but, you know, I That's find that interesting. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite thing about Australia? Favorite thing about Australia? I love um, I love the people. Uh, I always find uh, everybody here is, uh, you know, pleasure to deal with and uh, work with and, you know, interact with. And I love the coffee. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, especially coming from America, we don't uh, we don't get that same quality of uh, bean and uh, you know art that goes into every cup that uh, that you get down here. So I'm well caffeinated, which helps with the time zone difference. But uh, love the coffee and love the people. And our fashion sense is pretty good too. Yeah, obviously. pretty good, uh, especially these shirts I'm wearing here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, no one can see this, but uh, we're in Hawaiian shirts, which yeah. is we would call them Hawaiian shirts. Fair enough. Okay. Flamingos. And we've got two pineapples. Two sets of yeah. pineapples. like it. Um, bonds, fixed income. A lot of the folks that we talk to are equities, mm. you know. Um, and even a lot of the managers that we have on the show. This week's probably the exception. Mm. What does a typical daily look like? And I don't know if you can juxtapose that with equities in any way, but how do you think about that? Like, how do you, yeah. what do you do? How do you describe it? Our bond's really boring. Uh, definitely not this year. <laughs> we had a we had a long stretch there of bonds being relatively boring, um, and that was due to financial repression. But um, hopefully, that's uh, well beyond us now. It, f- it mm. feels like we've embarked on this new era. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of work this year on macro, a lot on mm. uh, incoming economic data, a lot of time on inflation, a lot of time on employment, um, and understanding Fed policy uh, as a result. You know, I think. If you if you wind back the clock on this year, that's that's been the big kind of variable hanging over markets and still hanging over markets. Um, but I feel like the pricing of that is um, largely largely happened. Right, we've had a huge recalibration in rates. We've had a re- big recalibration in uh, the expectation for Fed fund terminal rate. Um, and so, um, you know, if there's a silver lining, I guess a lot of the downside or, or a lot of that kind of readjustment factor has kind of uh, happened. So, you know, it's been a year of a lot of uh, a, a lot of macro data and a lot of um, reassessing of inflationary dynamics and comparisons to, you know, past eras of inflation and you know, dusting off uh, old hmm. playbooks of, of the past and understanding what's different this time around, you know, in the economy and the workforce and uh, structural things in particularly the U.S. Yeah. And what are you, what, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? First thing I do is I have a double shot of espresso. <laughs> I definitely can't go without my uh, my coffee, but um, you know, uh, you check the screen. You check in the yeah, futures. Yeah, I check. I check. Curve, check futures. Check curve. Um, check incoming data. You, you know, pay depending on what time I get. Yeah, equity um, so, markets as well. Yeah, watch the equity markets, of course, uh, particularly because we we spend a lot of time in credit, and so there's mm. a natural kind of you know overlap there, be it in companies or you know what we're what we're seeing on different ends of the uh, the capital structures from from companies that are reporting. Um, so equity markets, uh, bond futures, equity futures, incoming data, uh, overnight um, you know action outside of the U.S. Uh, be that in EM markets or in, in Asia, um, and just really teeing up for uh, for the day. Yeah, 
then your days DD. Days DD, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time actually with uh, with clients yeah. now, um, and so particularly in markets like this where it's really volatile, it's it's a ton of time with uh, clients on the yeah. phone. You know, going through uh, what we're seeing in markets, um, what we're doing in their portfolios, you know, how we're evolving the risk budget, what we're buying, mm. uh, where we're moving capital to, um, and working with clients that want to put new money to work in fixed income. You know. Um, um, giving giving guidance there and, and working with them on particularly the kind of customized ends of, of what they're doing in their mandates. Yeah. And what are those conversations like? You've had because credit spreads have gone out a bit, and then and there are wides at the moment. Yeah. And yeah. that's and, very typical, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. The conversations have been, um, you know, I think they've been something of of caution this year. Um, caution as we've had this kind of move higher in yields, this move wider in credit spreads. And kind of this reconciling of price movements with um, fundamentals and kind of that, that discussion, are those two uh, out of line? Um, and i.e., is there value uh, today in, in some of these markets? Or, um, you know, are, are, um, uh, uh, is it something we need to be more patient on and wait till we redeploy? I think the other big question, which has been hard for investors, back to my other question, is, fixed income, which historically has been like a ballast in a 60-40 yeah. portfolio, whatever the, the ratio has for the amount of risk you want to take, um, hasn't been that this year, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter if you've owned credit risk this year or duration risk or government bonds. The whole complex has been shattered mm. Um, mm. as a result of what's what's playing out in the stickiness of inflation and how central banks react to that. Um, and so that's been tough, I think, is this kind of like question mark of now that we've had this recalibration, are we almost done with it? And can bonds play that role again? And I think there's a lot of investor discussions today in fixed income about kind of reassessing what they own in fixed income uh, in light of how much cheapness has entered the market and kind of reassessing what they want to do with that allocation, right? Should I put more back into kind of the ballast end of my fixed income portfolio? Mm. How much should I put in credit? Do I think about credit in my fixed income portfolio, or do I think about credit relative to my equity risk budget? Yeah. Um, so there's a, a very fluid conversation today in, in fixed income, how it's being used, how it's counteracting other things you own in your portfolio, um, and can we get some stabilization and volatility here mm. to kind of make some of those correlation structures come back into being? Yeah. Drew, you put credit in defensive alts? Mm. Yeah, yeah, generally defensive alts, because there has been a bit more drawdown risk then yeah but then you could say the same about you know long duration bonds at the same time <laughs> that you know the idea of defensive alts is less than 10 or 8 percent drawdown or something like that yeah but you know long duration bonds down 15 so. yeah it's interesting i think depends where you're on credit but they're definitely a very topical right now is like this conversation of um just generically if i have risk assets which include equities and let's call it high yield bonds so yeah. like non-investment grade more kind of speculative debt um, should I think about high yield bonds as part of my fixed income allocation, or actually, should it does it improve the efficiency of my outcome in my equity book, in my shares book? Um, and a lot of like historical numbers, if you crunch them, actually show that when high yield spreads are wide or credit margins are wide, and there's uncertainty that's lingering over, you know, the the multiples in equity and the directionality of equity, um, high yield bonds can be an interesting. Uh, better risk-adjusted opportunity 
in that duration of time that they're higher spread vis-a-vis mm. -vis equities. Um, Seems like they'd be more they draw down, they're, they're, they're correlated, but they draw down less. Yep. And if you draw down less, it takes less to get back. Mm. And the bounce back's faster because it's not a perpetual instrument like an equity. It's actually a fixed maturity instrument and often non-investment grade is short. It's not so default, so, so you, yeah. you bounce fast. And particularly if you think defaults aren't going to be as bad as the market's pricing, then you know it's an interesting place to hang out and... Mm. I like to say the coupon's fat, yeah. so you get paid for it. Yeah. yeah you, you, what do, your coupon's gone from oh, the, six to ten or something. The yields right now on the high yield index, you know, um, is close to ten yeah. percent. Um, so you know that's a, a stark increase. We've almost had across the fixed income complex like a two x bump in yields yeah. uh, this year. Ten year Treasury in the U.S. one five to three, well almost four now, so more than two x. High yield bonds, you know, uh, we're down around five. They're close to ten, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, very compelling yield. And as we all know in bonds, if you break down the component, you have a price return and you have a coupon return. And most environments, like run long term, coupons are the dominant factor to the return stream. And when the coupon's mm -hmm. big, that becomes very, you know, powerful to, you know, um, how how that math works for you. Mm. And they call high yield junk but it's not really junk is it not like really it's, yeah it seems like it's, the worst uh, moniker you can get for an investment i have to say in invest yeah. in investing we're bad at marketing um <laughs> so it came before you yeah um <laughs> yeah it's true like it has so many names right it's called the junk bond market um you know and and that traces its origins back to what it was you know what it incepted over 30 years ago which was a, a market really for leveraged buyout transactions speculative finance debt debt-fueled, highly levered transactions. And um, what you've really seen, particularly since the financial crisis, is let's think about two, two different sets of numbers, 06, 07, so kind of the, the boom years before the bust of the mm -hmm. crisis, the GFC, um, you know, 67, 68% of the borrowing proceeds in the junk bond market, the high-yield market, were LBO use of proceeds you know, hmm. so you know mega geared transactions highly sensitive to forward-looking growth and you know balance sheets and how they're structured that today is like a third of the market so you've had this like structural just decline in that market and what it uses debt proceeds for less and less lbos more and more what's taken its place more and more refining. Yeah. so it's the netflixes of the world which is a double b high yield business saying, oh, I had this bond uh, maturing in two years. Let me tender it and refi out for another seven. And I like the borrowing cost. It's good for my cost of capital. So it's uh, what I would deem debt-friendly yeah. versus debt-unfriendly use of debt proceeds. And you've also had a lot of that market uh, migrate to the highest quality end of that market, which is double B-rated businesses, right on the cusp of below investment grade. That's more than half the market today. And that's also been a big structural shift. What's the historic default rate for? Yeah, for it's not much. Uh, no, it's it's reasonable. It's a, it's around um, three three and a half percent, I, I believe, is the historical historical numbers yeah. uh, long term. In the worst case, oh, GFC. A worst case, uh, the market materialized never materialized to what the spread numbers were indicating. Yeah, yeah. But um, let's think about the market right now. Right now, the market has a spread. The U.S. high yield market has a credit margin of, uh, I don't know, around 500 basis points, five and a quarter, five and a half. It's been bouncing in the 500s. That's effectively implying for um, defaults 
and recovery given defaults, kind of a default rate expectation in the market of about 5% a year for the next, for the duration of the market, which is four years. So I cumulative 20. Higher than average. Yeah, and then, uh, higher than average. And then yeah. you said Netflix is one of those companies. Yeah, and Netflix is that company. Or other large, pretty well-known, like Goodyear Tires is a, is a high-yield issuer. Um, if, if you look at the companies that are borrowing right now and you think about, okay, a lot more of them are double B versus triple C, so higher quality versus lower quality. They're using their debt just to refi their business and their operations, not just do massive LBO transactions. There's some of those in the market, but that's not the majority. Um, and you say to yourself, um, you know, what's the propensity for those companies to default given their balance sheet, given their business models, given their credit fundamentals, and given that they don't have a lot of maturities coming due? Because a lot of them did really well in COVID mm. to push out maturity walls and say, oh, let's refire ourselves now at very low rates and give ourselves another seven years breathing room. Um, you know, that's, that's been net favorable. So, you know, I'd, I'd say at Newberger Berman, we have a, a very different view. Yes, defaults are going to rise. They have to rise. Growth is slowing. But are they going to be as severe as what the market's pricing for now? Arguably not. And so in our view, that's, that's an opportunity for... Uh, for high yield from kind of a fundamental point of view. So momentum yeah. can drive credit as much as yeah, equities. Yeah, it, it can do. Um, and I, I think you, 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 the difference between equities and, and credit is that credit is is kind of more fi finite in, in terms of you know mm -hmm. what you have. You have a, a senior bond versus something junior like equity. You have something with a finite maturity versus infinite maturity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and and uh, the clock's ticking. And so, yes, the bond prices can move up and down, but when they move down and the maturity is coming due, there comes a point of reconciliation in which you have to say, can this company pay its coupon? And if the answer is yes, then that bond can't mathematically be stay marked. Yeah. You know, mm. It has to pull back to par, we call it in, uh, in bond talk. Yeah. Mm. I've got a question for you. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay, here we go. You've interviewed a lot of people. Do you find bond managers or the, those with a bond management experience or fixed income to be more successful or disciplined investors than straight equity managers? I think so, because I think the first focus is on risk, mm. right? Yeah. Whereas equities can get the cowboys in. <laughs> they, uh, they're well, like they're well versed in the pitch, right? Yeah. But I think that's the difference. And a lot of successful books have been written on this where the best investors, are, what's my downside first? Mm. And a lot of people that haven't, I haven't, I guess, immersed themselves in bonds and credit and all that. They don't understand that downside. So, and I even find that with analysts too. It doesn't necessarily have to be at PM or CIO level. It can be across the spectrum too. So, I find that um, analysts too make the transition from fixed income across are yeah. actually really good at their job. That's my experience anyway. This is more important, more than important part of the balance sheet, isn't it? Debt. Um. Yeah, I guess the way I uh, the way you could think about it is uh, your upside's limited, yeah. <laughs> and your downside's a lot more. Yeah. And um, right, because uh, simplistically, you you buy a bond, a new issue bond, uh, you buy it at let's say par. The best experience you get is you clip your coupon and get back your principal at the mm. end of the maturity. The worst is the company defaults and you don't get your coupon. And the the hard thing in bonds is. If you have a portfolio of 30 bonds, you've heard of concentrated equity managers, mm. right? Um, you hold 30 equities, one share, one equity goes to zero, but the other 29 
can more than make up for it because there's infinite upside. Hmm. You have a you have a portfolio of 30 bonds and one goes bust. Those other 29 have to work really hard, principally through coupon, to even try to make up for that that loss. And so there is this just kind of asymmetric skewness to bonds that creates that mentality that you have to be diligent with risk management because mm. um, the dynamics are different. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a running joke on FinTwit, <laughs> the old <laughs> financial Twitter sphere, to how hard um, bond managers have to work compared yeah. to equities. Yeah. Uh, and it's exactly what you described there. A few months ago, I would have been, maybe even a, bit, a while back, Adam, I, I saw that you made this case for like a central scenario for US rates. Yeah. And um, that caught my attention. And this is like the interplay of rates, inflation, GDP growth, everything. How do you, can you like provide a second, I guess, an up to date narrative? on where you see things going with rates Rates inflation growth yeah so let's uh i'll talk directionally Mm. growth growth soft i mean we all know that i think that's well manifested in pricing and markets um maybe there's still some tail risk to if we have soft growth a recession no recession what's it look like you know the the a little bit more context and definition around how bad growth looks like. Is it severe? Is it not severe? Is it a... How deep? Uh, yeah. Is it a goods recession versus a, a balance sheet recession versus mm-hmm. an overinvestment kind of boom bust like you had in the dot-com? Our, our view is kind of more like a traditional goods recession. So it's painful, but it's not um, as severe as recent memories of a GFC or dot-com boom bust or, or things of, of that nature. So I think less... Less intellectual power on recession, no recession, just more about like kind of contextualizing what it could look like and the degrees of of downside to it, which is which is manageable, and 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 the and the the economies of the world have also changed versus goods recessions of the past, where manufacturing was bigger and employment around manufacturing is bigger, and the kind of compounding effects of that were more pronounced today, much more, in, particularly in the U.S. and much in the developed world, more service kind of based economies that can help kind of like ballast that. That deterioration in um, in a goods recession. Um, so that's that's growth, uh, not going to be pretty. It's 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 not great. Um, on rates um, and inflation. So um, let's start with inflation. We've never really been in this kind of inflation's transitory camp. Um, the view we've had is that we're we're getting closer to a juncture of stability to peakishness in inflation. But as we start the downward trajectory in inflation, don't hope and don't spend too much time hoping that we're going to get a sudden kind of collapse back to pre, what are we now, pre-COVID uh, types mm-hmm. of recession, which in the U.S. would be like 2% core. That that doesn't feel realistic for a number of big structural reasons, supply chains, logistics, what's going on with kind of unorthodox policy. Look at what's happening in the U.K., uh, what's happening with energy transition and, and the challenges that creates for inflation and just demographics at, at large. Um, but, you know, we could go, let's, if you want to put numbers on it, from something of 6% core inflation today, maybe end of next year, north of three, three and a half, four uh, type of core inflation. So some abatement mm-hmm. to the recent pressures. And I think the markets are are looking for that. Um but it's going to take some time. Um, some of that inflation pressure in the U.S. Um, is is real. It's it's sticky, uh, and it's going to take some time to kind of like filter through into the, the numbers on the sticky inflation, housing, 
uh, wages, um, things of that nature will, will take more time. The more rapid kind of rollover, you're potentially going to see in goods. Yeah. You know, there's mm. been this big inventory build. How do we clear that? Consumers weaker. Like, you Seemed do it through predictable, didn't it? Redu- reduction. I think everybody's kind of had this thesis of like, when's the handover between um, goods versus services? And do we get this reopening? And, and, and that's just taken longer. I think the stubbornness of kind of the, the housing sides um, kind of, you know, been notable. Uh, the wages side now still playing out. Uh, in the U.S., they just had a big um, wage renegotiation with the railroad workers. Uh, first time since uh. like the 80s, um, a 12% jump. And so you're, you're seeing some elements of stickiness in wages. Uh, and that's a big part of like core services. Uh, that'll be a big part of it on a go forward. So don't expect core inflation to roll over soon. Headline could start softening depending on commodities, depending also on uh, goods, you know, driving some of that. But um, central banks aren't going to give up, you know, the ghost on inflation fast because this stuff's going to kind of take well through to 23 to kind of start seeing some 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 signs of abatement. And I don't think they want to jump the gun. Um, so that's inflation. That's growth. And then uh, rates. Um, Seems crazy at the moment. <laughs> like our RBA slowed down. But. Yeah. Yeah. And so the directionality we have right now of, and you're getting divergence. That's right. A lot of divergence mm. in, uh, in rates globally. Um, directionality for the Fed right now is, um, look at the market is pricing at probably four, 4.6 is what they're pricing right now. And in, in markets for Fed terminal, maybe four and a half to five is kind of where we end up. The point of it, the directionality point is we're going into restrictive territory. We're arguably already there. And we're going to be there for a bit because the Fed doesn't want to do redex 1970s where they give it up and then inflation kind of comes back. They really want to squeeze out this inflation. And so at any cost, um, they're saying at any cost. And I think that's interesting, too, right, because mm. it's easy to talk the talk, but to walk the walk will be, you know, let's see. That's going to be a 23 phenomenon. When you start seeing cracks in employment, when you start seeing uh, the necessary um layoffs uh, by companies uh, and that having real impacts on um, uh, on the economy, you know, does the Fed uh, continue to to act as hawkish as they've been acting and talking, but albeit in the context of an economy that's been absorbing it well? Um, that will be a 23 kind of big, big, uh, big question mark. So more more to come on um, on, on that direction. But, you know, I think the way I'm thinking about it is uh, there's been a big, big kind of ongoing volatility around getting us to where we need to be at the Fed. And, and I think we've done a lot of that repricing markets now, right? Like we've gone from three and a half terminal to four and a half or even more than four and a half. And the market's been, a- the Fed's been able to push the market to price hawkish and, and that's what the market's doing. And so I think, I think net, that's a good thing um, that a lot of that downside's kind of been a realization of 2021 and arguably lays the ground for would hope to have a little bit just more rate devolatization in <laughs> in twenty twenty two. I'm not saying it's like an easing cycle. It's just, you know, that slow that slowdown <laughs> is potentially on the cards for twenty two, which I think could be conducive for just financial assets at large is just some some degree of rate devolatization. And where's yeah. the most compelling value, sleeve or sector wise? Like is it is it energy, is it yeah consumer or treasuries? So I, yeah, I think right now in, in markets, uh, credit, credit, corporate credit is uh, pretty attractive. 
Uh, triple B corporate credit yields in the U.S. terms, you know, five, just fives to mid fives, depending on where you're at in credit, it could be better or worse. Like banks have had a bad year. Telcos haven't been great. Those are interesting areas of, of value. Um, prefer triple B in quality stacks in investment grade, prefer triple B over like single A names that arguably have some downgrade risk to becoming triple B. Triple B markets bigger. They feel comfortable financing themselves there. You know, don't want to kind of maintain unnecessary uh, ratios just to say single A for for no apparent reason. Doesn't help their weighted average cost of capital. So triple B's is the sweet spot. And some of the underperformers this year are pretty attractive banks and uh, telcos. Um, and then in high yield um, and in triple B's, I think there's been interesting opportunities um, particularly along that line of if, if you think there's some ch degrees of uh, probability of rate devolatization in just low dollar priced bonds um, that you know were issued during the COVID era, low coupons. And those bonds today, because of where current issues are at, um, the price on those has to adjust down, right? And so some of these 20, 30 year investment grade bonds from household names that you know, Apple, mm -hmm. uh, Merck, um, Verizon, um, you know, trade at 60 cents on the dollar. Yeah. Um, maybe you're not going to monetize that in the next three months. Um, but you know, there's an interesting positive price convexity dynamic to those bonds, um, that, that we're finding kind of opportunistically interesting. Yeah. Um, I think Drew, you wanted to talk about zombie companies, uh, something that's a bit of a, yeah, we kind of, it's been a bit topical in the news at the moment. Yeah. And it's kind of the idea of, you know, rates are going up so quickly. A lot of the debt's floating right. Uh, you know, you, your bank bill swap in Australia has gone up, but your coupon is going up a, ahead of it as well. Yeah. Is there a, a swathe of zombie companies that, that, that we should be worried about? Well, hopefully no this, uh, this move away from financial repression and allowing the markets to sort out their own woes is, is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, no cash flow would usually mean they're not even in the it's BB, they're in C or yeah. lower, aren't they? So I think you've seen an interesting dynamic in markets this year. You've seen at the start of the year, everybody loving floating rate because they're thinking about it as a as mm -hmm. a um, as a investor. Yeah. Uh, oh, it has no duration. Oh, I get more yield because it's going up with base rates like and, and all these kind of things, well. right? Yeah. But now, as the economic prospects, the macro prospects are getting a little bit bleaker, a little bit worse on the growth front, um, and there's this kind of gradual realization that's happened through the year that terminal rates are going higher versus kind of maybe neutral. So they're going more restrictive versus neutral, and they could stay restrictive for longer. Um, hey, wait a second. Let me start thinking about it from the borrower's point of view, not the investor's point of view, which is if you have a heavy debt capital structure that's floating um can you survive that yeah. you know what mm. does that how, how how rapidly does that start to tearing free cash flow and debt serviceability kind of metrics um and i think there are concerns there you know you're starting to see it from um in the floating rate bank loan market in the u.s you know signs of uh, investor outflow versus inflow at the beginning of the year on kind of like that shift in um sentiment um it's really hard to genericize markets. Of course, there's some companies that have a have a business model and sell product and have revenue streams and have a cost structure and operating leverage that work for that kind of borrowing structure they have. But at large, if you were to say, uh, "Hey, Adam, would you rather invest your capital today in like a 
kind of rolled down two-year duration high-yield fixed-rate bond or a floating-rate bank loan, I'd rather go to, 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 to that two-year fixed-rate bond. There's already been a big repricing of the two-year part of the curve, and the power of the roll-down is positive. And, um, you know, a lot of those high-yield companies, uh, like I think I mentioned earlier, really pushed out their maturity walls. So the, that fixed borrower has, in the high-yield market in the U.S., has another three years until like the next kind of wall of maturity starts to hit, which is only 11% of the market. Yeah. Hmm. So like that maturity wall, we call it, on the fixed right side has been really well managed mm. and it's giving this kind of like breathing room for companies that have done more in the fixed That's rate the versus floating from the market. from the economy comes from. Yeah, so, you know, I think as, as these rates stay higher and more restrictive for longer, there's definitely going to kind of be that, that tied out phenomenon and, you know, yeah, you need to watch that, that floating rate space a little bit more. Um, because you know, there's there's been a good amount of financing in that space, and maybe some of those companies just aren't as as well geared to uh, to survive that that reality. And you've got a listed investment trust. Yeah, we have a couple of things in the uh, in the Aussie market. Um, we have a listed trust on the ASX. Uh, that's really MBI. Yeah, MBI closed end fund uh, exclusive, a pretty pure product, exclusively focused on uh, really the global high-yield corporate markets, um, so that's that. Uh, no floating rate stuff there, just <laughs> fixed rate high yield. Um, so you know what you're getting um, yeah. in, in that product. Um, and then we have a, um, I think you call them here, managed trust? Managed yeah. fund. Yeah. A managed fund. Um, so, and then that just trades at NTA, daily, yeah. daily, um, daily subs, daily redemptions, you know, depending on what you need. And uh, that's a diversified multi-sector bond fund um, that can really go anywhere in the debt markets, but is on average always going to have an investment grade average rating of the bonds it owns. So kind of more of a foundational mm. um, uh, fund that trades at NTA and then something more exclusively focused on the high yield, global high yield corporate markets that's in closed end format, listed closed end format. Yeah. Mm. I like it, Drew. Owen Raskovich. Thank you, yeah. Thank you for joining us. I did, I did nothing. <laughs> I'm just a student here. This was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Great. Thank you, thank and you. And Adam Grotzinger, thank you for joining us as well. Yeah, pleasure. It's been uh, really good being here. Thank you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.